Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, you are listening in for season five, where we have been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. And this month, we're actually doing something a little unique because it's December. We're featuring different conversations with people whom I would love for you to know more about, people I admire who are living their lives for Christ and also doing some really great work. And of course, I had to invite a former co-host to join me today, especially because today's special guest is here today, partly because she requested that he come back. My co-host was persistent in asking if we could talk with this guest again. If you've listened to this podcast, you will remember my sweet friend and former co-host, Doc Mar from the Netherlands. Doc Mar has co-hosted this podcast with me quite a few times now. Most recently, she was on the podcast back in October when she shared about her deepening desire to know God, but also some personal struggles she's been having in her physical and mental health. We had some great discussions about making a decision to come to Christ. And so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out those prior episodes with Doc Mar and hear more of her story. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, there's lots of content over there you don't want to miss out on. You can find it all over at findingsomethingreal.com. Doc Mar, I'm so happy you're here today. How are you doing? I'm happy to be here. Um, wow, that was a different response the other time (laughs) thank you for Uh, having me usually that's what you say that's usually what I say um yeah I'm good today I've um, I've been having a little bit of stomach issues as I have been having for the past three months now so tomorrow I have another uh results from my ct scan so hopefully they will show something that can be worked with yeah, not having any answers is really hard. Yes, it is. But yeah. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. How about your mental health? How's that going? Because I know you've shared about that before. Um, well, I'm still in therapy, but we're working through some of the deeper issues that have been going on. So there's also some progress in that. So for those listening right now, um, just because it's been a few months since we've talked here on the podcast, where are you at right now in terms of faith? Um, 
Well, I've been uh, still been reading the Bible with Janelle. It's been a while, Janelle. We should do it soon again. <laughs> um, I went to church here in the Netherlands once, and I probably will go again. But it's just been a rough couple of months. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's you, well, kind of where I am right now. You went to that church all by yourself. I mean, that was pretty incredible. I think we shared that in October when you went, and it seemed like you had a good experience at the time. Would you? Do you still feel that way looking back on that? Yeah, I do. I just wish I would have connected more with other people because yeah. I went in there, I didn't talk to anyone, and then I went back out. Yeah. And then I know that we're getting really deep really fast, and I promise when we talk more, and I have a, a previous relationship, so uh, not all of this is coming out of nowhere, but um, what do you feel like is holding you back from uh, a decision for Christ at this point in your life? Um, I still think it's the same. Like, um, There's a parts of my life right now that wouldn't, Bit if I really gave my life to God and that scares me mm. like I right, right now it feels like I would have to give up a lot of stuff and I know that um, from other people's experiences like if you give yourself over to Christ it won't feel like giving anything up but that is what it feels like right now if I look forward mm-hmm. so that scares me yeah I know that scares you, but you were kind of excited about this particular guest without giving it away. You were excited about him coming back on. Will you share why before I introduce him? Um, well, I already had a conversation with him. And I, first of all, I really liked his story. And I also really like the way that he speaks and how he really talks about the gospel and really, yeah. I don't know. I just, he's, I don't know the English word, but, um, approachable, inspiring Mm. and approachable. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm excited too. Our guest today is a speaker, recording artist, writer, and founding pastor of Door of Hope, a thriving church community in the heart of Portland. He has recorded multiple worship albums, including as a front man of telecast He has also produced numerous records, including Liz Weiss's first album, There's a Light. He and his wife, Darcy, reside in Portland, Oregon, and have a son and a daughter. His first book, Stumbling Towards Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus, will release early next year and is already available for pre-order on Amazon. I already got my copy. Last time he was here, I shared that he had become one of our favorite guests because of the winsome and compelling way that he shares about Jesus. Welcome back, Josh White. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> it's good to see you. Both. It's great to have you back. I was out of service for a long time. I um, I did fly through. A, I, I got close to your worlds. Um at Dagmar by being, we went to um, Italy and in Greece this summer, but we, we were in, I almost got stuck in Amsterdam. So (laughs) (laughs) we almost missed our flight. (laughs) Was that during all of the issues with the airport? Was that, or was that a while ago? I think that was the summer, wasn't it? it? I think it's just notoriously like one of the, like, it's just such a major like stopping airport that it's easy to get backed up and, 
my son dropped his passport on accident on the plane. So we got all the way to our connecting flight and realized he didn't have his passport. It was pretty crazy. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! How was your European trip then? What was your highlight? The highlight from that trip, Josh? Oh, you know, both Italy and Greece are so different from one another. Um, we did. Uh, uh, we, we stayed in the Tuscan countryside, like in a villa. Um, the, and it was cool because the whole family. I mean, the highlight for me was just having Henry home from. He he moved home from New York for like two months of my sabbatical. And then right when we got back from Europe, he moved to New York City to pursue fashion. He, he just got home the other day. So it was just cool to have him um, home for the month. But um, yeah, really just having the whole family together was the highlight. It really almost matter where we went. But Tuscany was gorgeous. I mean, I love Siena. It was, I would say Italy's where you want to go if you want to go to museums. Although the Italian countryside, uh, um, the Italians, they're not mean. They're just indifferent <laughs> and I don't speak Italian. So these will stare at you and they really, really like my blonde daughter. Mm. <laughs> that <laughs> and is, it that is an Italian thing. Like the whole south <laughs> of, of uh, Europe is like, oh, blondes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, back down then. There's, she's 16 and I'm pretty sure you're old enough to be my father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. But, but I Crete was gorgeous and so peaceful and everyone spoke English, which was nice not to be a selfish American who doesn't speak any other languages, but it is nice to be able to communicate. And uh, we had this beautiful, most beautiful water I've ever seen and like 600 BC ruins and the Minoan ruins. <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. It was really cool. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. you took a sabbatical. How long were you gone and um, what was that like? Because I know, I know other pastors, it's really hard for them sometimes to take a break. How did you, did you enjoy it? I, I did. I mean, there, it was, a, it was, it was definitely necessary. Um, and, you know, my dad died in February and uh, I just pastoring a church in a city like Portland. I mean, like most urban environments, and I would say this is probably true to most younger churches across the States, COVID cut churches in half. I mean, there was just a massive exodus out of the church, but at the same time, it's like, there's all these kids that grew up in church that decided they didn't need church anymore after, you know, not having to go for a year. Um, there were also many non-believers who came out of COVID totally freaked out and deeply desiring something. So it's like, it became this, this, I mean, I, I would refer to it almost as like purging, you know, that passage in Hebrews and he will shake everything that can be shaken mm -hmm. until only that which un is unshakable remains. And so um, I think that the reduction in the church in some ways is a blessing because I, I realized that I, I was just burning. I don't think anyone is hardwired to pastor a thousand people. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it's possible and um and not 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 to truly shepherd them uh and uh, it just i feel like the church is in this really beautiful spot right now coming back from the sabbatical i mean one of the most encouraging things is the church did fine without me mm -hmm. <laughs> so and that's i mean that's as a founder that's what you hope it's like you know you don't want to hold the keys to the kingdom in a way that it it sinks if you're not there and so i feel like the the community is the the staff is just very, they're I have a really good shepherding team. And uh, there's a great young guy named Ian that's been 
preaching a bunch for me when I'm like, he's the other main teaching pastor. So, um, but yeah, I wrote my book. I spent the first two months of sabbatical writing. So I wrote, I spent like, like probably a month of those first two months in isolation writing. So, and wrapping up everything, um, which was super fun. Mm. I've learned the hard way. I'll never write a book again while I'm trying to pastor the church. Like I'd have to, I have to do it. Like I have to not have any responsibility to truly it's it requires a different level of focus than writing a record or a sermon mm. if this, <laughs> it's hard to maintain ideas for 200 and some pages it's like <laughs> did i already say this i think i already said this yeah. <laughs> is this the same see when i first met you in 2020 you were writing a book called the good death is this the same book and although i know it, it evolves over time and publishers have a say in the title but is it the same book or is it different? Would you tell us a little bit more about it? It is on the seven words from the cross, which was what the original the original idea was. But I had abandoned that one and we changed the title only to find that it put me in like the worst writer's block ever. And I think a lot of it was that I was working through so much personal stuff in it. I mean, I, I mean, my book is, uh, I mean, I address everything from, you know, abuse to, um, you know, it deals a lot with, because one of the things I ask is like, what does the gospel say to, I, I deal with my own mental, with some of my own mental illness history and uh, like mean stepdads and, and a father that chose drugs and left our family. And, you know, it's, in some ways I was almost doing like very intense counseling by myself and writing this mm -hmm. book. So the first wave, it took me a year longer than I expected because the first round was like, I kind of just need to get all this stuff out. And then I, and then I had to kind of like let it sit for about six months. And then I went back at it, right? Like right at the beginning of 2022 um, is when I really started to dig in again. And, it, and then the goal was to go through all the content and look at all my stories, pull the ones that, you know, you have to kill your darlings. And I had a like massive manuscript. So I wanted to cut it down to a very digestible book. And so I, what I did is I, um, I went back to the seven words of the cross and then each word of the cross, um, I, uh, I created um, a series of what I call fragments. Like they're, 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 um, significant life events. So these memoir pieces are like fragments from my life that I interweave into the seven chapters um, the challenge was doing it in a way that it wasn't prescriptive. I don't want to say like, and this happened to me when I was eight, and this is what you should get out of mm. the story because my story, <laughs> and it's a, and I, and that's a violation of the narrative. So that was very tough to figure out how to do. But I think it, I, I mean, I'm really, I'm really proud of the book. I think that the hard work paid off, and the publisher's been really happy with it. And um, I just got my first review in Publisher Weekly, which was really positive, which is cool. Uh, and Tim Mackey from the Bible Project wrote the foreword, um, and yeah, just a lot. It, it's been um, gotten a lot of really great feedback, and a lot of it has to do with just that that the strange, you know, Augustine did it in Confessions, but it isn't done very. You know, I have a, a devotional style that's based more off of something that doesn't really people aren't really doing anymore, and then the my love of literature definitely comes through. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm reading an audio book in January. So awesome. which is cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, um, I've heard you read a few excerpts, ex how do you say that word? Excerpts? Excerpts out of it uh, from 
Cannon Beach Conference Center. We watched some of the videos and uh, really enjoyed. Yeah. yeah, it's very unique. It's not, uh, I don't know of other books right now that are out there like this. So I'm, I'm excited to read it too, Josh. For someone listening who is not familiar with your story, um, why should they get your book? What will it, what will it, uh, how will it impact them? Yeah. Um, well, the, the first thing is, is that I think that the book, my, my comfort level with, with, uh, with promoting my own book is this, that I believe that the, I believe in the message of it, you know, regardless of, you know, my hopes of people enjoying the prose and my concern and care for those things. What I really care about is that people know that they're loved and, um, and there's a, there is a definitely, um, um, I think that I'm, I'm commuting, communicating the same gospel, but I'm communicating in a way where I think that there are some things that the church has drifted from. Um, and I think that we have, um, everyone's trying to figure out why people aren't going to the church and going to church anymore. And I think the biggest reason is that Christians have forgotten that, um, uh, that the world is not interested in us pretending to keep an ideal that we ourselves can't keep. Uh, what people want to know is, are we like, does this Jesus actually do something for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does he actually speak into the, you know, uh, mystery stomach illness or mental health anxiety? Like what does Jesus have to say to any of that? What do you do when you had an abusive parent or you, you know, were horribly picked on in school? What do you do when you've been sick or you lost someone you love? What does the gospel have to say to people that are actually hurting? Because the, the fact is, is that, Pain is not something that anyone that anyone that lives for any length of time can avoid, um, you know. And if we don't taste death in this life, we're not going to be prepared for life after mm-hmm. death. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, what I try to do is is move away from the question, why do we suffer? And I'm far more interested in is like I don't really care why. I just want to know that God cares and he, and He's done something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the book. Um, speaks honestly to that. It doesn't try to sugarcoat the the fact that life is truly is mixture, and there we all hurt, and we can hurt deeply. But there's still pinpoints of grace that are inter intersecting with um, our lives. Even the most painful stories. When I really went back and and open, you know, brought them before the Lord, what I found is that God was showed me how even in the most insane moments of my childhood and my history that he was there in the midst of it and i always say he doesn't make he's not responsible for the horrible things that we do as human beings but he is able to to utilize it and to bring beauty and good out of it and so so that's where i think that the book i think the book you know there's something about memoir that it reminds us that we're not alone in the world that's why i love it so much good good memoir has you know generally creates a, what I call a universal voice, like the universal human experience, because our stories have common. They may be very different, but they all have. Certain, we all experience the same kind of. We all have. We all want to be loved. You know, we all want to be known. Uh, we all know what it's like to have our hearts broken. We know what disappointment is, and we know what fear is, and um, and so, you know, any person that's lived, you know, unless it's like Novikov his story isn't like anybody else's and I don't think it should be like anybody else's, but, uh, <laughs> who, is it? who is that that you mentioned? <laughs> I, there's a book called speak memory, which is a memoir by the great Russian 
uh, writer Nabokov, who wrote Lolita, okay. which is a very controversial book, but he's, I think, one of the greatest writers in English prose ever. But he, his memoir, um, Mary Carr did a class on literary memoir, and she says, do not imitate Nabokov. <laughs> he is He's like a foreign star. <laughs> he, he breaks every rule of memoir, which is the relatability. Like his his gift is that his story is like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about or uh, anybody that's lived like this. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question about your book. And then I know, Dakmar, I asked you to prepare some questions and I know you might have some. So get ready. Um, but Josh, I... I saw your book trailer. You said that following Christ is not about sinning less, but loving more. What does that Mm -hmm. mean for somebody listening who's not sure about Christ? And isn't sinning less one of the goals? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a goal. I I think Jesus is the only goal and sinning less is, is the, well, first of all, sin is an inescapable reality. Uh, what I'm what I'm interested in is the fact that Jesus has dealt with sin. Mm. So it's what Martin Luther said: Jesus saved me from sin. Why didn't He save me from sinning? I think for a listener that doesn't know Jesus, the question they, they probably the first question is like, well, what even is sin? Um, and we all have ideas. Even secular people have ideas of what that word might mean. But we generally define it by the little things we do wrong. You know, it's like, oh, it's the the person that stole, or it's the person that killed someone, or it's the person that, you know, is is a liar, or you know, uh, or the person that's lazy. You know, there's a there's a multitude of ways. I always say that sin is not the little things we do wrong. That's just the outworking of what is um, something fundamentally broken at the core of what it means to be made in the image of God, and and it, it, at its essence, it just is our. Uh, sin is defined by our attempts to be our own gods. Mm. Um, you know, Dagmar said it best in the beginning, like the fear of following Jesus is that I'll have to, I'll have to let him be God. Like I have to, I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to trust in a God and allow him to be responsible for me. Um, and that's a scary thing. And one of the, I think the scariest things is the, is the fear that if I actually trust him and nothing changes, then I have nothing to fall back on in the future. I think even fear for those that kind of fundamentally believe, but they're afraid to take that step, Mm. that step of faith is like, what if I do and nothing changes? Like, um, and, and I think that, you know, there's lots of reasons why we don't want to submit, but I, I would say the, in a world that, that, um, the message of the world is you are your own God. Um, this plays into into our politics. It plays into our understanding of sexuality today. It plays into it plays into every arena of life. But like self, you know, the self help industry is a six point five billion dollar industry, and Christians unfortunately are adding to it every day. And it's like we all want ladders. Give me give me the the ladder that'll help me climb to the success that I dream of, or the whatever it is that will make me feel pull or will make me feel like I'm finally enough. And, you know, that's where I think that this message in the cross, like it, it's a radical, um, it's in radical opposition to that idea because it says, Jesus is like, sin has made it impossible for you to climb to me and I will enter into it and take care of it once and for all. So sinning less is not, is not the goal um, because sin has already been defeated. Uh, it, loving more means that the more we enter into intimacy with Jesus and truly live for others, 
is the more that the more his his power and his personhood is able to work in and through us. And so the sin, the goal is the sinless Christ having control mm-hmm. <laughs> of our sinful bodies. Yeah. And so I always say that he's a, I don't have to worry about my sin. It's been forgiven, but it doesn't mean it doesn't wreak havoc in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, and every time I sin, ultimately what I'm doing is I'm coming back to a place where I'm saying in this moment, I will be my own God. I will choose for myself what is right and what is wrong. It just never works out very well for me when I do <laughs> Or anyone I'm else. I'm pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Duckmore, what are your thoughts on what just Josh just shared? Uh, I guess that is kind of true. Like if you sin, you decide for yourself what's wrong and right. But um, I guess for me, that's a little bit hard because usually when I sin, I know that it's wrong, but I still do it anyway. Yeah. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I keep on doing, I shouldn't be doing. And this is the man who most would consider to be the, you know, the most profound. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament, and yet he writes in the middle of the most profound document probably in human existence, the book of Romans, that he doesn't talk about it in past tense. It's all in the present tense. It's personal pronouns. I keep doing things I don't want to do, <laughs> the things that I keep doing, I shouldn't be doing, who will save me from this body of death? And then he, and then what he leads to, what he comes to, and this is what I think is the essence of the gospel. It's not us trying harder. Um, it's the, the hardest thing we'll ever do is just surrender. It's very difficult to give up control. Um, and it's also difficult to admit that we're actually far more broken than we like to think we are. You know, I, I always love to ask people when I go speak at churches, I'll ask, a, I'll ask the question. I said, how many of you would view yourself as evil? And almost you'll almost never get a hand raised, except people that just already are assuming that I'm offering a trick question. They'll be like, maybe one like timid hand, I think so. And then they'll see no one else's and they're like, maybe I'm not. Um, it's because we reserve that word for the worst people. You know, that's, that's what, uh, that's, that's the Jeffrey Dahmers. That's the Ted Bundy's of the world. That's the serial killer, you know, uh, Hitler's evil, but I'm not evil. You know, I'm not as good as I could be, but I'm not evil. But Jesus blows that out of the water when he says to his own disciples, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And so I like to say, I actually wrote in the book, I said, there are only two categories of people in God's economy, evil people that say yes to Jesus and evil people that say no to Jesus. The only thing that makes saint to saint is that they're a sinner that's accepted the forgiveness that's already ours <laughs> and so um I, like you know people are like what about discipleship and i'm like I, discipleship isn't a word in the new testament disciple is uh, disciple is just someone who's reoriented their life around following jesus uh and learning from him uh which should begin the moment you say yes to him um and you know there is no rival point so that's why i like to say it's, it's not about it's not about sinning less. It's about loving more. It's not about arriving. It's about knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm interested in is asking the, that in central question, do you know Jesus? And he says, my sheep know my voice and they hear me and they follow me. Um, and he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw people to myself. That What we forget, though, is that not all people respond the same to the drawing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so some people respond by being offended. Some people say yes. And, some, and most people are in, uh, in some kind of like 
there's a there's a journey in Dagmar's. I have many many young people at the church that will come for months and months, and before they before they say yes to Jesus. What I love is that the question is: Is is the church a place where people can come and actually meet with Jesus and and discover the truth of who He is? And um, sometimes when we turn the church into a place that where we're protecting ourselves from from the terrifying pagan realities of the world, I'm like. Why didn't we not understand that the worst enemy we'll ever face is within the church? Mm. <laughs> it's ourselves. Mm. <laughs> it's like, I think non-believers are far more intrigued with the message that says, hey, listen, I promise you I am as screwed up, if not more than you. But I do know someone that actually knows, can can help us. I do know <laughs> this Jesus is real. He, he really does love us and he He's not forsaken us and he understands we're broken people. And that's the whole reason that the gospel is so compelling because it says God understands we're so broken that he has to actually come down to us rather than us climb up to him. Um, and I think that's pretty good news. I think that's a pretty compelling message. Hmm. What do you think, Dagmar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just listening <laughs> now i have to come up with my own thoughts no uh, just kidding i think it's it's hard because like when i went to church um as a kid it was very different from um like when i went to church now so i think there's a lot of different churches and i think finding the right church also means uh, you will be able to find your people and you will be able to find like the the actual good speakers like i don't know but what i remember mm -hmm. from church when i was a kid it was just someone reading from probably the old testament because it was also uh, <laughs> i don't know it's weird i don't know the the english word but the the dutch word is um long threaded I don't know it was all stretched out and it was hard to keep your attention and I was a kid so it's probably also because of that but long threaded that's a great word I remember that one <laughs> it's <laughs> I, not an English we, we word say, but it's a Dutch we one long-winded long which is someone that just keeps going and like they just never stop talking yeah but they, like that which but the service just felt like it was never end. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dutch Reformed is a is a definitely you, your country definitely produced some of the more stoic believers <laughs> in <laughs> Protestant history. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I'm just really, I'm a leery of any Christianity that that's one of the chief marks is is the inability to smile <laughs> or laugh. Yeah, or make a joke. <laughs> so I have a question that wasn't on my list, and um, I'm not sure I'll be able to articulate it right, but I'd love your feedback on this, Josh. So going back to loving more and, and not focusing so much on the sinning less, although Jesus did say you'll know by the fruit. Um, a few weeks ago, I was watching, uh, I was doing laundry, and I was watching a trial online. And it was Daryl Brooks, uh, the young man who, I don't even know how young he is, but he drove through a parade uh, in Wisconsin and killed six people, injured right. a lot more. And what was so interesting to me watching his sentencing 
was he, first of all, he defended himself. So it was very entertaining in a really sad, uh, sad way. Um, but when he got up to share, he gave 15 minutes of the gospel. He started his diatribe with 15 minutes of the gospel. And theologically speaking, it didn't sound totally off. Now, I wasn't listening for exact all the details, but it sounded like the gospel message, the same one that I would hear from the pulpit. He went on for almost another two hours talking and defending himself and justifying all these different things and clearly sharing his mental health problems as a defense for why he did this or, or didn't do it. Um, and it was so it was so hard to reconcile that, um, that this accurate description of the gospel coming from the mouth of somebody who showed no real remorse or love in his heart for those around him. And what was interesting mm-hmm. was the judge herself and a few of the victims, they shared, um, you know, about forgiveness and about faith also. But when you see something like that, where somebody shares theologically sound things, but their life does not display that, how do you, how do you, as someone who believes that they can be a conduit of God's grace, how do you reconcile that for someone watching who goes, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I never, uh, I think the greatest, I, I agree with Chesterton, the greatest argument for Christianity is sin, uh, which means that the greatest argument against Christianity will be Christians, um, because sin is a part of our reality. I One of the things I am most, I mean, I will take it to my grave, but I'm sorry, the way you described in that man, it's from my vantage point, not, he acted um, uh, in a way that is very reflective of the hearts of many of many Christians I've met. Like, and that, and, and that's the concept is like I would rather be right than be loving. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I think that the you know the 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 high premium on 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 some sort of um, uh, some kind of holiness that um, that is devoid of of grace, you know, I mean, think about churches within and ministries with the name grace in it, that where the founder is like, grace might be the last thing you'd expect to find in a conversation with them. Um, and it's, I mean, the one thing that goes, that, that goes unchallenged in the church today and, it, and, and the, the time is over for it is pride. Like people don't, it, it's like, they're so, hell bent on being right um that they forgot that a loveless christian isn't a thing it doesn't exist um and so uh it is the love of god that's been poured out in our hearts and this is why i so fundamentally reject um christian nationalism uh and all of and christian liberalism i don't want either i know i'm not interested in the right or the left in jesus and empires and kingdoms come and go um, and America is no different. Um, and we're, we're experiencing a reckoning because the church has gotten in bed with, with politics and we think we can legislate morality. And instead, what we've done is we've created an enemy out of the very people we're called to be reaching. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a, so disheartening. It's why I'm moving to the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> is it better over there, Dagmar? Go so soon because uh, the church has a thingy here too, where 
the the church is like embedded into the like a, the council of like the towns so in the less the, the less christian towns like we we've got a couple of christian towns and a couple of less christian towns but um in the less christian towns the stores are open on sunday and in the more christian towns the stores are not open on sunday and it's it's annoying a lot of people so to speak because they have to yeah. drive over to different towns on sunday to get food yeah well the, i mean that's the thing is that there's these different ways of living and i think that that's where at the end of the day jesus said one thing he said they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another he didn't say by your um by how rigid you are in your in your your ethics this is why i love luther's famous line to melanchthon highly misunderstood when melanchthon was fearful uh, melanchthon was a counterpart of martin luther who was a part of the great reformation but he was deeply fearful he had come to believe in the in um salvation by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone but he but he was having doubts and his doubts actually had to do with his conscience. Like, I, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with my thought life. I'm, uh, you know, how do I know for sure that I'm saved if I, if I fail in these things? And Luther wrote back to me and said, listen, if you committed an affair every day of your life and you murdered someone every day and you did all these things, he's like, not anything you do can change the totality of what Jesus accomplished. Mm. And he said, therefore, lengthen, sin boldly. And then he goes, but love Jesus and his mercy more boldly. And the point, what he was saying is not go out and sin. Should I sin that grace may abound? What he was saying is you won't ever escape sin. And the only antidote for, for our brokenness is to cling to Jesus, who is the only one who's sinless. So Luther never, Luther often gets accused of being what's called antinomian. Like he's, he rejects law so completely that it's like, Hey, we're saved by grace. You can't do anything. Just accept it. That's never that is totally, I mean, I've read, read enough of his work to know that the man was a man who lived under deep convictions and, and abided. But he also had a, um, what I love about his early work, um, and I would say before is probably if he was alive today, I would be curious what if he would be diagnosed as bipolar. Um, I, what I, I love about it, there's a playfulness in Luther that you do not find in, in guys like Calvin. Um, and what I, I think Luther discovered one of the great secrets of Christianity, I think Chesterton did as well. Um, I think that the Inklings, there's, there's Frederick Buechner, there's, there's many great Christian examples of this. And that is a, a, an absolute refusal to take the world or ourselves very seriously, mm. but, in, but a, a tenacious uh, desire to take Jesus and our call to love others with the grace of God extremely seriously. And so I don't take the world or myself very seriously. And I, I, that's why I'm grateful for the country I live in. I'm, I vote, I vote according to my conscience. I'm a good citizen, but I don't think any of those passages in first Peter and Romans have anything to do with, um, with the, with a call to some sort of, um, uh, some sort of false loyalty um, to, uh, the kingdoms of men. I want to be a good citizen where I am so that I can bring the gospel to as many people as possible. Uh, but I have no, uh, I have no uh, delusion um, around the idea that 
um, that kingdoms come and go. Um, and the, and I don't believe that God is on the side of countries. I think he's on the side of saving lost people. If I was to, if I was to say God bless countries, we would have to base that upon where he's saving the most people. And that happens to be China. And nobody would say that God is pro-communism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so any more than I would say he's pro-capitalism. Jesus is not a capitalist or a communist. He's a dictator. Mm-hmm. He's just a really good one. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, Thoughts on that, Doc Mark? <laughs> it's a controversial thing to say, but it's kind of right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't deny, I don't deny anything that Doc Mark said. You were absolutely right to feel nervous about what is required of you. Mm-hmm. And that people always ask me, what must I do? Like, what do I have to give up to follow Jesus? And it's like, what will it cost me? And everything It's like, it's everything. But why would we want it to be anything? If it only like, if like, we don't want Jesus to just be another thing that we do, like, uh, like joining a club on Instagram on, you know, how to, you know, how to have like, you look at all those like CrossFit groups on Instagram. It's like, these are like, there's a million, uh, these, all these lifestyle groups that it, make up our social media. Those are the religions of, of the modern age. It's the, these, these, if you do these things, you're going to be happy. If you do this, you you know, whether it's the body positivity message or the, you know, if you find you're in Portland now, there's like this whole like um, movement of, you know, in the, in the, gender fluidity thing one of the next stages is just my ability to say whatever i want i don't, I don't need to be a boy or a girl i'll be what i want and so we have this big group of uh, of elves in portland it's fascinating people that wear prosthetic ears um and they see it as like the next level of of uh, evolution uh there was actually an article in the guardian in london around this so, like it's people see it as like the, the you know living actually through like, like things like AI and these virtual worlds that people, what are they looking for? They just look, they want to belong to something, um, but they also want the right to define it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it just gets crazier and crazier. Wow. I'm, I'm so fascinated to see where things will end up in like 20 years from now. Uh, Cause we're going to, we're going to have a big, big old mess on our hands, but that's why I just say, I don't know. All I know is, I'm called to lift up Jesus, no matter what my environment is. And my, my main concern isn't, uh, isn't, uh, political in its nature. It's, it's spiritual. Mm. <laughs> well, Josh, you are a dabbler or accomplished in a lot of things. Um, off of the top of my head, I know you as a musician, a preacher, a writer, an amateur boxer, a home renovator and a tattoo artist. And that's just probably scratching the surface. For someone who can take things up quickly and then possibly, and I don't know this for sure, but maybe lose interest or just move from one thing to another, how do you avoid your relationship with Jesus from becoming like that? And for someone like Doc Marr, who maybe is afraid of that happening in her life, what can you tell her about what makes the difference? Yeah, I, I think here's the thing. Augustine was right on when he talked about um, disordered loves. I think the false belief for those that that have come to the conviction that jesus is who he said he is and 
and you know, the, I, I think he, this is with my dad. This is my dad before he came to faith and which he came to faith the last two years of his life. Um, but he, his, he's like, I just don't want to submit. Like, I actually think he is the son of God. I actually do think he died for my sins. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, I, I believe it. I just, I'm just not ready to give up, give up. I'm like, dad, you're, you can't walk and you live in a cabin and you haven't bathed in over a month and you're sitting in your own filth and you're dying. Like, like, what do you, like, what do you think you have to hold on to still? <laughs> but that just shows how powerful the um, human will is. Like, like, even if my life is absolute crap, <laughs> it's still my life to be crappy. <laughs> and I'm not going to even give, I'm not even willing to give up my crappy life. Like, you know, that's why Lewis said, we're like children making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what it would be like to have a vacation at the sea. Um, it's a, you know, there's a, there's something just weirdly like we will just fixate, even if it's the worst life possible. It's like, there's something, there's some weird intrinsic value to it. Well, it's at least it's my horrible <laughs> and no one else's. And Jesus the, the that's the great lie of the enemy is that Jesus wants to take away from you your right to be yourself. And what I would say is that you don't know who you are. None of us, we don't know who we are. We're, we're, we're an enigma to ourselves. We don't understand what's going on with our bodies. We don't understand why our minds are distracted and, and fragmented. And, and what I, what I find when I come to Jesus is yes, he says, pick up your cross and follow me and count the cost. But what he invites us into is peace. He invites us into freedom, real freedom. And I think that people think it'll be freedom from pain, but I like to say that Jesus comes to set us free from the need to be free from the difficulties of life. Um, his, his peace is peace in the midst of the storm. Like we, if I, if I say yes to Jesus, will he heal my stomach ailment? That would be a, that that I've seen Christians like I can't follow Jesus because he didn't heal me or he didn't, you know, um, my mom died and I can't I just why would I can't love a God that would let my mom. Well, everybody dies mm. and everybody gets sick. <laughs> and is, is, wasn't it more important to believe that the gospel story tells us that God has entered into the human predicament and so fully owned it that he actually changed the orientation of time itself by which now death is no longer our great enemy but but it's been a conquered a conquered enemy that actually will usher us into more life ultimately um you know that that there's a god who says yes your life is going to be difficult but i promise i will be with you in the midst of it and you can trust me because i i have tasted the difficulty in all of its fullness and that that's what i i think that what i'm looking for is not a god that can explain to me why I suffer. I just want to know that there's a God who understands it and actually has the ability. This is the whole focus of my book is that God can take the broken and painful aspects of our existence and weave them into his beautiful song. He, he can take dissonant notes and bring them into his redemptive song. He actually creates whole new movements <laughs> out of the ugliest parts of our lives. Um, it's beauty from ashes. It's the, it's, it's his ability to, um, to um, to strengthen us to endure, the, and why does he leave us in this messy world? Because he's still in the business of seeking and saving people, um, and there will be, you know, the hope of the Christian is that this the best is yet to come, and I have to believe that, um, and which allows me actually to more fully enjoy the world now. So, 
ordered loves is the key. The understanding is that is that what what's fundamentally wrong with our hearts is that we we love good things, but we love them more than God. And so the good things that God has come to bless us with, I mean, everything, it can be anything, music, our jobs, our love life. We, we can meet the kindest, most amazing person. We give our life and they become our life partner. I'm married to the most incredible human being and I, I couldn't be happier. But the moment you make that person God, you have set yourself up to have your heart broken and to break theirs. <laughs> the moment we make our children our gods, our hearts are being set up. Because what happens if your child dies? Like all of a sudden, you see your God isn't the very wasn't very good, and and we put our we put our hope in our. Most people just make themselves their their God. They're they're not. It's not their spouse. It's not their kids. It's it's usually their own their own probably. Um, delusional idea of their own greatness because um, we all have it we, we love to be the center of our own universe but what about what if you get into the center of your own universe and it's like this is a freaking lonely and pretty pretty pathetic place <laughs> like i realized at 27 my empire and my universe was pretty small mm. and and pretty unappealing I and mean, i had a wife that wanted to to divorce me my music career had blown up i'm like I'm like, my friends are all becoming heroin addicts. I'm like, I don't know. It just seems like I'm not making a very good God right now <laughs> in my world. Um, I'm, I'm kind of ready to say I need help. That's why I, I, I'm so fascinated with the concept of church being more like an AA meeting. It's like, I'm an alcoholic. I can't, I can't help myself. I need help. That's the first step in Christianity and the power of what Jesus offers. And I would say this, Dagmar, like you probably not going to give yourself to Jesus until you really recognize that you actually need him. And I would just encourage you, you do need him. <laughs> like, and he, and he will not disappoint. <laughs> like he really, really loves you. Like he loves you and we're all prodigal. It's just it, like all of us continue, even after you come to Jesus, you'll still drift. I, I have found even ministry of Jesus. The whole reason I was on a sabbatical is because I was so sick and burned out because because I lost Jesus in my service of him, um, you know, and I think that this one of the, and you know, some, I, that's where I was, became very aware of something being fundamentally wrong is that, that that ability to love others well was, was, was diminishing. Um, and, and, and even my hunger for Jesus was diminishing because the Lord was letting me feel the disconnect. It's, it's the sin of Israel. It's that they replaced the, the, uh, they replaced the lawgiver who gave the law as, as a means of creating a parameter by which they could enter into intimacy with him. We all need boundaries. Um, and instead, they worship the boundaries <laughs> instead of the one who, I gave you the boundaries so you could know me, not so that you can worship the boundaries. Um, and I think that this is where Christians just go. It's why a guy can get up on a trial and justify violence and use the bible to do it because the bible without the spirit who pours out the love of god in our hearts is a dead book in our hands mm. um i'm lots of people who know the bible inside now that doesn't mean anything i'm like i'm interested you know jesus if you knew jesus he wouldn't act like that <laughs> if you did you'd be quick to repent yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah thoughts on that doc mark well there was a, a lot of different um subjects subjects i don't know but um first of all i do think that we as people 
mastered to control our lives in a way that um, it's hard for us to feel out of control because we want to know what happens next. But the thing with that is that we can never know what comes next. Even if we do have that tight grasp on our lives, it still changes. And as people, we change even if we don't follow Jesus or if we don't do the the lifestyle thingies or whatever it all changes anyway like the whole thing about life is that it it changes and your personality changes and everything changes that the only constant is change i don't know who said yeah. it, but it's a quote by someone <laughs> i i like to say that i'm like the the um nothing is nothing is certain the one thing i can be certain of is that nothing is certain except and that's where like that's where Jesus has been the one singular foundation that the centrality of the cross is that it's the one thing that, that anchors my life. And what I would refer to as the impossibility of life. Like, I think life is, I don't think, I think life is difficult. I think it's impossible. Um, and, and even if everything, if you have everything in a tight controlled universe, like and there's so much we have zero control over. I mean, I walked through a friend. I, he, he came to faith three days before he died. But, you know, brilliant school teacher, 45 years old, three girls under, they were, uh, I mean, two girls. They were, uh, I had two friends die of cancer, both at 45, and they both had daughters. One of them three, and the other one, two girls. Um, but my wife's best friend, her husband, Steve, he died in 2011. Um, and, we never got along and he was very independent and he almost became a priest out of school, but then he lost his faith and became an educator, very liberal, classic Portland progressive, very smart, really witty. Um, and his, for him, his life is his family. I just love my wife and my girls. He was an avid soccer player and pretty fun. Um, and then he got cancer. <laughs> it's like he got, he got, he got lymphoma and he, and he even beat it. And he's like, he's like, yes, I beat it. And now I can go back to just loving the things I love. And two years later, he came back with a vengeance and knocked him, took him out in six months. And it was three days before he died. And he's like, the only, he wouldn't even talk to his daughter or his wife the last month because all it did was remind him of what he was losing and how little control he had over his life. Um, and it was actually then that we became fast friends because the only thing he wanted to know is if there's a God, am I okay with him? Mm. <laughs> and and uh, people are like, well, that seems emotionally manipulative. I mean, he was dying. Of course he's, you know, like, why does it matter what drives us to, to faith? Like, like if, if cancer is what it took to bring Steve to, to some sort of deep um, place of peace, because death is the one thing that all of us have to go through. The one thing that human beings have in common <laughs> that is an inescapable reality is we all go to the grave one at a time and uh and there that is the last great frontier for for each of us and you know he was afraid but his fear led him to love and i don't i'm like i, I was what i love is that it was the uncertainty of his life that actually led him to to faith and i think if you already have that piece that's actually a good thing to come to an, to an understanding at an early age that life is far more difficult than I thought. Because when you're young, it's easy to put it off. Like you just, it's like, well, I'm just having fun. I, just, I don't have to think about it. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm, how, how old are you? I'm 21. 20, you're, so you're the same age as my son. 
um yeah that's it i mean 21 it's like i mean like everything is awesome at 21 but actually that's usually when we're first confronted with there's a lot that's not awesome because <laughs> we're adults now we don't have the protection mental illness is a massive thing i mean i have so many young kids in the church that are just crushed under it um i mean i myself have uh, significant anxiety disorder so uh, you know i i i know the difficulty of that that's just like talking about uncertain <laughs> it's like it doesn't take much to put me off either <laughs> yeah i have so. i've known that a lot isn't awesome for a long time now <laughs> i yeah. um i got diagnosed with depression at think I was 18 but I probably already had it like at least three years before um I just recently well this year got diagnosed with uh anxiety uh disorder uh PTSD and some other things so I've known stuff isn't all rose colored <laughs> yeah yeah um well here's the thing Jesus knows all that. And that's the, what I think is the most compelling about the gospel is that it's like on our worst day, on our most terrified day, he, he loves us. And I think what do we want more than anything is just to know that we're accepted. And then it, it's not just about Jesus. Like, you know, one of the things that I focus in on in the book is that when G, when God says to Adam in the garden, it's like in a, it's a sinless state. And however you read that story, whatever you like literal six day i don't care um what i what i think is that it's speaking to this it's it, however the language is used it's using a, a, the ability to tell us a true a true thing um about the fall of humanity but the or the creation of humanity in the image of god and he says of adam and he says it is not good that man be alone it is not good he says of a perfect creation he says there's actually something that's not good in it and what's not good is that you don't have other he's that Adam would be like, what do you mean? I mean, I have you all to myself. How is that not everything I would need? And God's like, I am not everything that you need because I created you for the need of others like yourself. Um, and so our ability to actually know God intimately is dependent upon our relationship with others that know him. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that is nothing will help you more than actually just beginning to explore, like go back to that church and meet people your own age and begin to explore um, faith because we actually are touched by Jesus most fully through Jesus working in other people. You know, I think we sometimes wait for the heavens to open up and it's the light to shine down. Like, whoa, I'm here. Um, and, and people have those moments, but even in the New Testament, the disciples had one moment where Jesus is transfigured in front of them, and then they had to go back into the valley where they were confronted with the cross. Um, so I think that, that I mean, most of life is in the valley, um, and so, and we need others in that journey with us um, in order to truly experience the possibility of, because you need to be reminded every day that you're loved. Like it can't be like a once a year, you know, video podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> one final question josh thank you for being here the finding something real podcast is about a journey towards restoration eternity authenticity and love of those things that we can find in relationship with christ which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why yes yeah, i mean it's grace and i think when grace rules a home 
forgiveness is the air that people breathe. Um, I think that grace is so counterintuitive to the world to know that, like, I tell my kids, it's all my 21 year old son, you know, he's still like, he's finding what it means to be a Christian for himself. And he's not sure what he, what he believes, but what he knows is he has seen us live out grace and we are unbelievably close family because he knows that there is nothing he could come in. I would tell parents, I'm like, there is no contingency. If he's a heroin addict, I would let him live in my house still. And I know I'd get robbed blind, but he's my son. And that's what grace is. It's that crazy. It's like, it's grace is, is, uh, is unfair because it's God loving us when we don't deserve it. And if more Christians understood how radical grace is, um, it would change the way that we approach people. Um, and we create, it would create a gentleness in our, in our concern. What brings conviction to people's lives, what draws people to Jesus is not beating them over the head with their sin. What draws people to Jesus is the kindness of God, his mercy moving toward us that while we were yet still sinners, Jesus died for us. And I think that, I think until the church understands and learns that fully, like, um, I think that we're going to continue to see an exodus because people are exhausted um, from feeling like they, uh, feeling like they're failing. Um, it's like, I'm already failing in the world. Now I don't have to feel like I'm failing God all the time too. Mm -hmm. um, like that's not what, that's not what the church is to be about. We're, we are a place, we're beggars telling other beggars where they can get some bread. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as James Farrar Capone said, I said, the only thing you can bring to God is your dead body. And the good news is that, uh, is that he seems to be in the business of bringing dead things to life. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> so. Love. Thank you so much, Josh, for being yeah. here. And Doc Mar, yeah. thank you for making it happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.